The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, The Athletic's podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. I'm joined as ever by global Greg Evans and Holly Percival has rejoined us this week after a bout of sickness last time out. Holly, are you fully recovered? I am, thank you. I just I literally couldn't speak without coughing up a lung last week, so I think it was safe for all, all listeners to, to sit it out. Yeah, well, welcome back. It's good to have you back on board. Global, you've been on your travels. How are you? I'm good, Daniel. I'm almost as good as your uh, white Louboutins with your suit. I mean, it was a sharp outfit, I thought, Greg, but it didn't go down well on Twitter, to be honest. It didn't go down as I was hoping. You put it on Twitter as well? Yeah, I only seen it on Instagram. There's a lot of criticism on social media for wearing trainers to my sister's wedding, but I am what I am, Greg. There's nothing I can do about it. And, And Aston Villa are what they are at the moment. And Sunday was absolutely dreadful. We will give an early shout out to our producer, Ollie, who is a Newcastle fan, who I'm sure enjoyed the game much more than we did. I mean, I don't even really want to talk about it again, but I suppose we have to. That's what we're here to do. Newcastle United 1, Aston Villa 0. We'll start off, Greg, with what Aston Villa did well. Okay, there we go. What did they do, Badler? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't at St. James's, so I've I've watched the game back now. Um, yeah, Monday I watched it back. And yeah, wow. I, I can understand the frustration from supporters purely because it was such a a turgid game really you know, d- disappointing from both sides there, w- there wasn't really much in it was there but um, you know Villa clearly the worst side out of out of the two um, not, not quite sure where it's going wrong it, I think we, we discussed it, we discussed between us didn't we earlier that um, feels like teams have almost sussed Villa out a little bit now I, from watching the game back and I actually watched it one and, and, and almost well almost two times but um Went through the the, the main bits. Uh, I commend we, you for that. We, which were few and far between. <laughs> uh, a, a, a second time, and it kind of felt like Newcastle just had the the better of the midfield, and 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 the div, the midfield three of Villa um, were kind of just figured out quite quickly. They, they Newcastle found a nice way to play through them, um, and that seemed to be the main problem. So yeah, there's a bit of work to be done. Yeah, like Greg says, Hollow, not a classic game, not one everyone anyone to look back with any fondness. Newcastle kind of grinded it out, did did enough to win. I think they probably deserved the win. But there are a few worrying trends developing amongst Villa at the moment, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. I think fans are starting to notice kind of the same areas that are showing signs of weakness um, in the last couple of games. Defensively, obviously, it's been dreadful from Villa to concede four goals in the last two games. And uh, in the midfield, like you've mentioned, they're starting to get overrun and teams, like Greg said, have kind of figured that out and how to kind of capitalise on it. So... I think Villa need to kind of obviously go back and reassess and and Watford is going to be such a crucial game that Villa fans will be expecting a win. So I feel like if that doesn't go the right way, this kind of almost toxic atmosphere that's looming within the fan base at the moment could step up another level potentially. But I do agree with Greg and I agree with yourself, Dan. It was dreadful. I I felt, honestly, I would have done anything but watch that game for 90 minutes on the weekend because it was the the worst performance under Gerrard in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, I feel quite positive around Gerard's reign so far, Greg. I've got a lot of time for him. I, I like what he's trying to do. It wasn't great seeing him slumped in the in the dugout, just looking absolutely baffled by what he was seeing on Sunday. No, it kind of feels like the, well, the, the honeymoon period's over now, isn't it? I think we can we can fairly say, say, safely say that. Um, 
it wasn't great. No, seeing Gerard slump there, he looked a little bit. <sighs> I don't know. He, Bewildered. Yeah, he, he, he was almost shocked by the performance, I think, and didn't really know what to do about it because he's one of these guys, typically, who stands on the on the dugout, uh, on the touchline, full of passion and, and, and enjoying the good moments and rallying his team in the bad moments. Perhaps the game plan that, he, that he'd asked um, his team to perform just wasn't being well executed or wasn't going to um, you know, plan. I don't know. There needs to be a reaction, doesn't there? Because at the start of the uh, this, this run of fixtures, which we thought were very favourable for Villa, we were kind of expecting Villa to start kick, kicking on towards the top half of the table. And they've, they've they've only picked up one point against two of the lower ranked teams in the league, you know, Leeds and, and Newcastle. Watford's a big game for me now. It feels like Villa do need to go and win that. But I think what's more worrying is the last international break, Gerard spoke so passionately um, and so often about how good it was having the team together for so long because they could work on ways um, that he wants this team to play. And it, we just haven't really seen it yet, have we, in, these, in the following two games? No, I thought there was glimpses of it against Leeds. Obviously, there was a very good 20 minutes where Villa scored three times and looked like they were going to score every time they came forward. But I think you have to caveat that with the fact that Leeds are quite an open side and they're one of the more easier teams to, to, to rip apart with the, way, with the way they play football. I'm worried about shipping goals, Holly, at the moment. If you look at the four goals across the two games, like you've mentioned, they're all really, really bad goals, aren't they? Yeah, I mean... I kind of feel a little bit bad for for Tyrone Mings and and the stick that he's got over the the last couple of games, but I just don't see the Tyrone Mings that we saw at the end of last season and earned his call up to go to the Euros in the summer. So I just don't really understand what where he is actually going wrong, but whatever it is, it, it's not working. I mean, even the minor things of not seeing him jump up for the headers as much and, and being beat in the air by Dan James, for example, who's almost half the height of Tyrone Mings. Um, Obviously, losing Konza to the red card is is a big blow because he, him, and Mings do work well together, and you can kind of see that Chambers didn't quite trust Mings or kind of have that like fluidity between the two in the Newcastle game. So uh, Villa have to batten down the hatches defensively because if if they can't even defend a simple attack, they're not even going to keep the ball long enough to to warrant the attack on the opposite side of the pitch. So for me, it's got to be work it out from the back and, and work it better. Yeah, Greg, the goal really compounded what was an awful day. I thought it was a, a terrible goal to concede. I thought organisationally and structurally, it was just really poor from Villain. Just, just bizarre. I can't, I can't work out what what we were trying to achieve. I, I can't look at Emmy Martinez a little bit for the goal and the organisation of what was going on in front of him. And I also found his dive a little bit strange. I know it took a deflection, but I just felt like he was very, very low for, for that goal. I mean, we got away with it not being a penalty. But it felt like a penalty when Trippier stepped up to take that free kick, to be fair, didn't it? Because he's, he's bang on form at the moment. But it just, it's an ugly goal to concede, an ugly way to lose the game. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit like that Wolves goal, you know, the Neves free kick where mm. it kind of took a yeah. deflection off target and, and, and went in. It was a little bit like that. And um, I'm, I'm not sure, look, I mean, yeah, okay, they, they probably have to work on, on the way they set up a, a defensive set pieces now after that um, looked look like a bit of an issue but I think in general set pieces have been good for Villa this year you know we, we, we spoke at the start of the season did Dan didn't we about Austin McPhee and the, the, the impact he had I said let, let's judge let's judge him over the, the course of the season rather than get really excited about the goals Villa were scoring and I think he's earned his money for sure you know Villa are the second definitely in credit yeah of course Villa are the second most 
um, productive team from, from set pieces. And there aren't many games that that they've won um, without scoring from a set piece. You know, if you, if you look back on them, might be a, might be a future article for me to, to 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 pick the bones out of that one. But yeah, look, there's there's a bit of work to be done there. They just they're just not quite at it at the moment. There's a couple of positions that I feel need strengthening. Defensive midfield, we keep talking about this, but it's an issue for Villa. They need a good defensive midfielder. Um, and they just need to find the balance between attack and, and defence because although there were some really positive signs against Leeds, they still ship three goals against a, you know, a team who's, who have been struggling of late. So the balance isn't quite there for me yet. Well, Leeds rocked it to Everton and got pumped 3 now. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. that, that's not good, is it? I was going to say, right, I don't know, the, the vibe I'm getting is that there's going to be changes on Saturday against Watford, Greg. I don't know what, don't know what you're hearing from, from your people. But I kind of think, I'm not sure what he can change. Midfield, can't, the midfield, there is not the options there to, to make changes. I don't see how he changes that midfield at all. The only bit of the team I can see that he can change would either be Buendere out for Bailey or Watkins out for Ings. I think Ings is probably worth a start at this point. I've got, I've got to be honest, but I think there's only so much Gerard can do. There is, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if Ashley Young gets a look in again um, in in one of the midfield areas. Not sure. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Wonder whether he decides to drop McGinn back into a defensive midfield role and, and take Louise out of the firing line, perhaps. Um, but then at the same time, you, you know, you, you, you're taking McGinn away from his best area. Um, there are just, a, as I say, there are just a couple of areas that Villa need strengthening. That they need a good defensive midfielder, and that that just seems to be a big, big, big issue for them at the moment. Would would they have gone and won the game at Newcastle if they had a decent defensive midfielder? M- maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't have made so much difference, but they certainly would have had a better chance. Um, and I think that's 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 just where Villa are at at the moment. They're going to come up against the Watford team who are going to be so well organised under under Roy Hodgson and hard to break down. So it's 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 going to be a difficult test for them. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you think the system and the formation's kind of been found out a bit? Greg and I chatted before we came on because we were early, professional. And there was like a surprise factor when Gerard came in. So we played with these two number 10s, the fullbacks bombing on, the central midfielders pulling wide whilst the fullbacks pushed up the pitch. And for the first few games, teams didn't really know how to what, how to deal with it. I remember Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, it felt like Villa were very tactically on top in that game. But it does. I do kind of feel like it's been found out a little bit now that Newcastle seemed happy to let Cash have the ball, have the midfield sit on Buendia and Coutinho, and that notified them to an extent. And it all just felt like, well, we don't really have a plan B here. And I hate talking about plan Bs. I absolutely hate it. But it did feel like there wasn't really any way of changing it. 
Yeah, I think maybe now it's too certain to say for definite if we've 100% been found out and Gerard has to 100% change the way he lines up. Um, I think if your players are good enough, which I believe a majority of the Villa team are, then it, the formation for me shouldn't impact how potentially slight alterations can be made mid-game. Um, and it seems kind of that's how Gerard has been going into it and then kind of making those slight tweaks at half-time. Um I don't want to see a massive formation change yet because I, I think that could potentially create a bit of a stir in terms of how comfortable Villa feel on the pitch. So I think, like Greg said, I think it's more of a lacking that key player in a certain position. I think the area, the area of issue is that kind of central midfield and, and def- mid mid area of the defensive line, sorry. So I think... If Villa can somehow figure out against Watford how to just solidify that area and build up from there, then I think even that could just bolster kind of the attacking line going forward. I genuinely think, Greg, Ings and Watkins is probably a coin toss at the moment as to who gets the nod up front, although every time he's been fit, Steven Gerrard has picked Ollie Watkins and Ings has spent some time on the bench. We're saying this is the strongest Villa squad for years, and I think it probably is. But I still, you know, that other 10 except for the strikers, with no Nakamba... I honestly think that that team kind of picks itself. There aren't many obvious options, are there? You know, to to, to change it. Do, do you give Chupameka a start? Um, in where, the, but where? That's the problem. I can't but see this where. Is what I'm saying, you know, do, do, do you put McGinn back into? Do you put McGinn as the holder? I can't see him doing that. I think he says Carney is a ten. Yeah, but look, he's come on in plenty of games, hasn't he? And he's played in those midfield roles. Um, you know, an eight role almost. But Carney definitely is a ten. He certainly wants to, but he he believes his best qualities are in are in the attacking areas, which you know I agree with. The, the issue that Villa have is that they haven't got a good defensive midfielder available to them. It's pretty much as simple as that. So whatever they do, um, whether they keep Louise there, who hasn't got a defensive bone in his body, but you say that, but he is the most defensive of the midfielders that we have available. Is yeah, it? he is, but he, but he, but he's not a defensive midfielder. But he's not a good defensive midfielder. That's what I'm saying. You saying in terms of tackling, basically, tracking runners, winning, tackling, winning the ball back, reading yeah. the danger, uh, acting as a shield for the for the back four, not leaving the back two exposed so often. Conzer and Mings haven't had their best season this year. You know, Mings uh, has been a little bit sloppy in terms of his discipline. Two sending offs. You can argue, but they might have been controversial. But still, two sending offs. Um, and he, you know, hasn't performed as well as he did last year. Mings has had a couple of errors which have caused him problems. But the, a lot, you know, some of that is down to not having a really solid. Um, man in front of them protecting them they're, they're exposed way too often the the, the gaps are, are ridiculous and 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 um louise doesn't read read the danger quickly enough to protect them yeah, i mean you could say mings and concert found a little bit of form when nakamba was in front of them couldn't you holler yeah 100 percent um nakamba definitely seemed to kind of be that player revitalized the most as soon as gerard came in and everyone was really excited to see how he would continue to develop under gerard so to lose him and lose that defensive minded midfielder has been a blow and that continues to be evident um with douglas louise now playing in that position um and i think i've seen quite a few villa fans on twitter saying i'll oh, bring morgan sanson in for the watford game but again i it, it's not the right option. I agree with Greg. He's even even though Louise doesn't have that kind of defensive minded ability, I still think he would complete that role ever so slightly better than Morgan Sanson. So 
it's really tricky and, and kind of Nakamba's absence in front of Mings and Konza is definitely being felt. Again, you talk about Ashley Young coming in, Greg, for a bit of experience, a bit of nous, I get that. But if he's coming in, it's probably for Buendia and then you're losing something going forward. Yeah, this is it. Um, you know, that's, that's what we've said, isn't there? There's no obvious sort of option to come in and, and make the team massively better. Um, I, I do think I do think it's fine margins. I think that um, I think it was just a bad day at Newcastle. There, there were some really good signs against Leeds, um, but the balance wasn't quite there because you know they conceded way too many goals. Um, hopefully, a week of training might, might just iron out some of the some of the creases. I mean, the game could have been different had the VAR disallowed goal stood, Holly. I mean, it was offside. You can't have any complaints with it, you know. Although, I have a few complaints with the, the, the way they freeze the frames, but it's the same for everyone, look. It's not personal against Villa. Although, it does feel like Holly Watkins has had more VAR goals disallowed than anyone in the history of the game, I will say. <laughs> it, def- it does feel like that. Um, I think I tweeted during the game uh, something that, uh, to me, the VAR, the only thing I had with VAR on the weekend was that the line on Kraft's foot looked like it was on his toe and not on his heel, which obviously would be the last point that could touch the ball and therefore would be classed as the onside point from Kraft. So I I was quite frustrated to see that because obviously it was such a fine margin. That bloody and with yeah, exactly. Um, and I can see why people then took to Twitter to say VAR is, is ruining the game because obviously without VAR, that goal would have stood. It would have been 1-1 and the whole game changes. But again, you just kind of have to go, OK, well, it's been ruled that way and get on with it. And I think the, the criticism Watkins has received over the last few days is is outrageous as well because, yes, it's a five-game run of, of no goals for him and like you said he's had a large handful of them ruled offside but last season he went on a run of nine games without a goal and it didn't feel like he had nearly as much backlash for that so I think he just needs that bit of time and, and like we said maybe there is a slight change of formation and, and him and Ings are given a second chance to play up top together who knows. Holly raised that point about Watkins and the, the games he went without a goal last season, Greg, and I agree with her, but I could see why he was offering the team at that point. You know, he was still pressing from the front. He's a different manager. They're playing different systems, so it's completely different. You know, he was still ticking a lot of boxes for a lone striker for me. At the moment, he's not ticking too many boxes. It's just not sticking at all. I did a podcast last night and the question was kind of raised. Actually, the way we're playing at the moment, the system with the, the two tens, it doesn't really suit Watkins. Um. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and no. I, I think. I, I think if you remember the early goal, uh, the early games of of Gerard's reign, he, he did, he did, he did well, didn't he? He scored the first goal under under Gerard and, and looked a, a real handful and a real threat. Um, I think he's, I think he's playing. He's a little bit low on confidence. It seems um, ball's not quite sticking for him. Probably just needs a goal. And as you say, you know, almost so so close to getting one. I think he, he hit the post, uh, hit the woodwork more times than. Um, any other Villa player last season, so we, you know, was very close to adding to a lot more goals um, then. And you're right. Does when there's an offside, when there's an offside goal, and marginally, he's not um, getting it. He's never he, getting he, it. He never gets them, does he? It always goes the other way. You know, must be must be so frustrating. Okay, yeah, that they, they are offside, but that that you know they're millimeters. It's so so close. Um, but yeah. It, I, I don't think the system doesn't suit him. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. He, he needs a goal. I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. I, I, I'd love to have a, a you know a, a nice answer to, to explain why it isn't quite working for him. But 
I, I just don't know. I don't know what it is with him at the moment. Unfortunately, there has been a few pieces on The Athletic off the back of Villa's defeat at Newcastle. If you haven't read them and you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so at the moment for just a pound a month for the first six months. Just head to theathletic.com slash villapod and you'll get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast, including this one. That's theathletic.com slash villapod. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whilst the men toiled, the women got the job done against Everton at the weekend and there's a WSL break now, so the next match will be the reverse of the same fixture in the first week of March. Safety is assured now, let's be honest, so perhaps there's now a chance to play with a bit more freedom and put some foundations in place for significant progress next season. We do have a little bit of an exclusive here at The Athletic. Our colleague Flo Lord-Hughes spoke to the manager Carla Ward last week and we've got a little clip of what was a fascinating conversation. Carla and her partner separated towards the end of last year and Flo asked her whether she'd warn people against a relationship with a football manager. 100%. Yeah. I say it openly. I say it to everyone. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be with a football manager. And, I, and like right now, I think, who is going to want to be with a football manager? Because my life is football and my daughter. And my daughter becomes first in my world and everybody knows she's my best friend. So if I'm not at football, I'm with my daughter and, and ultimately that makes me happy. So... Yeah, at the moment, it's a case of just living my life with Hartley and that's that. But yeah, I would 100% say, I wouldn't want to be with a football manager. No way. You're vacant. You work 24 hours a day. I don't care what anyone says. I mean, transfer deadline week, me and Lee were still here some days at half past 11 at night. We were on the phone till one o'clock in the morning, two or three nights, trying to find an eluded striker that never came about. <laughs> How do you think other people make it work, though? Because, I mean, even just being a journalist, like... It's really hard because I, I work most weekends, worked a game last night, working a game tonight. It, it's very long day. So how do you think people make it work? Um, do you know what? It's an answer I'd love to know because clearly <laughs> I thought that I was well on top of it and I clearly wasn't. Um, so I probably need to work that one out if I'm to, to get in another relationship. But um, I think it's tough. It's really tough. I think with a child, it's a bit easier because ultimately – Every every mum will tell you that the children are the pride and joy, and you want to do any anything you can to one make them happy and to protect them. So, I think um, that side of it is um, is something that you have to probably focus all your energy and attention on. Um, the relationship side, you probably end up taking people for granted, which isn't ideal, and ultimately can cost people. And I read a great article last week. I think I shared it actually around uh, Bobby Robson and um, how you know you have to make a lot of sacrifices in football management and you do you absolutely do but yeah like I said it's it's I, I I often do ask myself how do you manage it I'm not sure there's some days which I feel horrendous for particularly in um, deadline week there was one day I was supposed to have Hartley and I literally had to put movies on for it all day because I was on the phone to agents on the phone to Lee on zoom calls with the football club trying to get a deal over the line and I went to bed 
one exhausted but two feeling terrible that my daughter had literally sat in front of the tv all day so it's tough it's challenging but ultimately then what I try and do is try and just set out key bits that we do when I see her for example I facetimed her this morning before um, before she went to nursery she knows I'm picking up today I said what do you want to do tonight so we're going to make pizzas and she loves making smiley face pizzas so and then I say I said to her what do you want to do tomorrow she want, do you want to go swimming do you want to go trampolining do you want to go to the play center so she'll just decide so then what I've started doing now is on my day off putting things in so I then don't revert back to consistently working on my day off which I have a habit of doing which all football managers I'm sure do so um, yeah it's really just trying to plan and manage those moments that you when you do get some quality time with her it is quality time rather than just time working but you're in her company was there any any point in which you thought maybe I should like not be a manager be an assistant coach be a scout, be something else in order to prioritise family and relationships? I, I always think I work to provide for my family. Um, I've always said that I've, I work, um, I do my job. Well, one, because I love it, but I work to provide for, for my family. So um, I don't ever think, do I come out of it? But I, also, I always do think if I ever got the sack, God forbid, there would probably be a period that you I would probably pay a lot of time and attention to to my daughter now but um I don't think like that no Hartley loves football I involve her in everything I make sure she watches games um although she likes it she comes to games so she gets excited so um you know I try to involve her which sounds crazy because she's not even free yet but she loves it she knows all about it um the badge in itself obviously it's don't know if anyone notices but it's the Peugeot Peugeot uh animal so every time she sees a Peugeot she's going mama there's Aston Villa and I'm thinking (laughs) It's a car, but um, <laughs> well, I just try and um, my the best I can involve her in what is my everyday life. Very, very open and honest, isn't she, Hannah? Yeah, Carla Ward is is great. I'm a very big fan of her. Um, you know, she, last season she took the step to to leave Birmingham City to to move to a club that would be able to kind of meet her expectations and she joined Villa and I think that chat is really honest because I think sometimes people forget and it happens for for both you know dads and moms that the demand of having a child while working such an intensive full-time job can be really difficult and then obviously like Carla mentioned keeping up a relationship on top of that is is just as hard so you can tell how dedicated she is to Aston Villa women and, and to making them as big a success as possible under her so you can kind of then understand why her personal life hasn't been able to keep up to the same kind of standard, but she's, she's a great woman. Um, and I am very excited to hopefully go and see Villa women in person soon and, and get to watch the masterclass that is Carla walks. As you mentioned that the, the 12 points above Birmingham city who are in the relegation zone, um, they should definitely be in the WSL next season. So it's a, it's a really good win for Villa and who are continuing to grow and develop and bring in big names. Yeah, I'm going to be at one of the next two games. I think I'm going to make sure I get down there. And stuff we can relate to there, Holly, as well, with our football manager careers, albeit be on the PC. It's very true, yeah. I, to be honest, football managers give me a new profound appreciation for, for managers and how intense the job is. So yeah, she, she can't possibly put as much time into being a manager as I do on that on my laptop. I'm absolutely certain of that. And Global Greg, I guess there's a, there's a few things you can relate to as there, being the busy boy that you are. You put so much into your work, tra- tra- travelling, you know. Yeah, I do, I do. I do put a lot of time and effort into the work uh, and I hope it, you know, is reflected in the articles that I write. Um, you know, some stories take months to, to, to build and, and, and work on. So 
um, yeah, yeah, it was a very interesting interview. I love listening to Flo as well. You know, she's she's great, great, um, great talker, isn't she? Yeah, I love, love love working with Flo on the Athletic Football Podcast, of course. Now the women's SPL has been reorganised this week, Holly. But the UK league work well because they're talking about kind of doing the the same kind of thing they do in the SPL and splitting the division for the final part of the season. Is that something you'd like to say? If I'm being honest, uh, I think the answer would be no. I think if if the league was to be altered, I think I would want to see the the top two divisions definitely expanded in size. So then there is more teams playing semi professionally and professionally. Obviously, that would mean there would needs to be more financial backing from from male counterparts to to provide financial support, or you know that can be through sponsors and and TV deals as well. But I think splitting it can just I don't know create almost that kind of like hierarchy within within the clubs around the country and. That, I don't think that's what the women's game needs, uh, especially in the English leagues when kind of this season especially, um, all the teams are really close together and, and challenging each other. So I think kind of then splitting it would kind of potentially take away from the fun of uh, one team going on a, on a big run of wins and, and sneaking higher up the table. So for me personally, I don't think I would want to see it. Let's welcome Jacob Whitehead to the 1874 podcast. Jacob's been writing about all the craziness around the Brazil versus Argentina World Cup qualifier that's now set to be replayed. But Jacob, Villa's representatives, Emmy Buendia and Emmy Martinez, they won't be taking part. Why is that? No, so they've been banned. It's alongside the uh, the Tottenham pair, or the then Tottenham pair of Giovanni Lo Celso and uh, Christian Romero. And it's just such a bizarre story overall, really. I think you might remember that these qualifiers from which they got the ban were the ones which the Premier League didn't originally want to release any players for. And Villa's players yeah. almost went against the league instructions to turn up. And they they turned up in Brazil, who then had a rule saying, oh, you can't, if you've been in the UK in the previous 14 days, then you aren't allowed in Brazil. That's if you're a non-Brazilian. And Maybe a few people, you know, you could lie low, get away with it. The problem, I think, for Buendia and Martinez is that they're Premier League footballers. I think Buendia scored against Brentford a few days earlier and then tried to turn up at immigration and be like, there's no problem me being here. And we led, sort of ended up in this farcical situation with uh, health officials sprinting onto the pitch halfway through a qualifier. Neymar in this sort of rare role of peacemaker, where he was having to sort of try and talk down the officials from calling off the game. And... Uh, yeah, he got suspended and didn't restart. And FIFA announced immediately that they were going to launch an investigation into it. And that's come back this week. They find both teams. Brazil have been found more culpable than Argentina, seemingly because of their response. But as you mentioned, all the players have been suspended. They've, um, they violated this really weird code called the FIFA Return to Football International Match Protocol, which def- oh, yeah. I know it. I know I'm, it I'm sure it doesn't have a catchiest acronym. And uh, it just felt really surprising to me that the players were getting punished for it because, you know, are, are they sitting down doing the paperwork and their visa just before flying out? Um, that that was what confused me quite a lot. But yeah, they've now been banned for two matches, um, which I know Villa supporters might quite like that they aren't going off to international duty. Yeah, I can't say I'm massively upset by, by the news. I mean, the charge is falsifying information on forms, as, as you say. And Jacob, is there any update on the potential police investigations that were going to take place? 
Not really. I mean, this is a FIFA judgment, so it'd be unlikely to go through them. But in September, Brazilian police said that they were going to launch an investigation into it. There have been no updates since then. Of course, I suppose something could still be done, but it looks unlikely at the moment this is going to be a, a criminal issue. Yeah, when I said I wasn't bothered about the missing international games, I'll be quite bothered if it became a criminal issue. So hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen. Jacob, thanks ever so much for coming on and having a chat with us about this. No, cheers. Thank you. Great to be here. Before we go, Cameron Archer's in the goals again. Absolutely flying at Preston, isn't he? Yeah, brilliant to see. Just what he needed. He, you know, he needed that move into the championship to show that he can perform at the level um, and come back to Villa with with a real uh, spring in his step. Hopefully, over the summer, um, he could potentially be a player that Villa, you know, really do turn to next year. Um, whether whether that means coming off the bench, maybe even starting games, uh, or, or alternatively. He could turn into a player who's of significant value um, and might earn them a little bit of money if they sell him on. Finally, just before we do go, Holly, are Villa going to win on Saturday? I want to say yes, but I'm so scared now at this point to to offer a definitive answer. I I think the answer is yes, because they they know it's a must win. But, you know, I mean, Watford beat us at the start of the season, which was quite unexpected. And they are definitely a team that shouldn't be undervalued. So I think it will definitely be uh, an exciting game similar to, to the one at Leeds. Greg? Yeah, 2 0 Villa. I'm quite confident. I've gone 2 0 as well. I've gone 2 0. Yeah, I'm quite quite confident. I will say I did predict Villa to lose at the weekend as well. So, you know, I've got got, got (laughs) four points. So, you know, you never know. Hopefully, the 2 0 could come up trumps. That does us for today. Don't forget, it's just £1 a month for your first six months of The Athletic when you sign up as a new subscriber at theathletic.com slash villapod. Do make sure you take advantage of that offer if you're not already a subscriber. We'll be back next week. Please, please, can we be talking about three points for Villa against Watford? Have a good rest of the week and look forward to the game at the weekend. Up the Villa. Athletic.